Today we're going to talk about hope in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. We live in a world that is full of reasons to not trust anybody or to not put our hope in anybody or anything. As soon as you put your hope somewhere, it seems like it gets snatched away. You put your hope in someone, they get pulled another direction or the rug gets pulled out from under you. As soon as I think, well, I found the real deal, the deal goes away, the deal goes bad. When you finally think, well, hey, it's going to be a new year and it's going to be a great year, suddenly life happens. The worst can even happen. When someone stands up to finally lead us to victory, they get shot down. You lose five pounds and you celebrate with one piece of cake and you gain ten. <laughs> At least that's how it works for me. As soon as you get a little bit of extra money, something happens and you got to spend it to take care of something. It just goes away as quickly as it came. That friend that you finally thought, oh, I found the friend of, of a lifetime. Something happens and they're gone. You get that hope for your child to be better or to begin making better life choices and then something happens or they make a wrong choice. It's hard to find where to put our hope in this world, especially when it seems like every time we get our emotions and our hope filled, something happens. And the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so it's so important for us to know where to put our hope in Christ because if we put our hope somewhere else and it's deferred for too long, your heart gets sick. But if you put your hope in Christ and develop that relationship, it's another thing. So the biggest question of your life is, will you put your hope in Jesus? Will you? God's not asking you to put, his, put your hope in His church. Some of you have been in church years, years ago and things happened and it, something went sour, something went south and it didn't work out for you and it was devastating for you. Why? Because you put your hope in the church. God wants you to serve Him. God wants you to love Him. God wants you to love His people. God wants you to serve His people in, in the church. Why? Because this is the body of Christ. But Jesus is where we put our hope. A lot of people make the mistake. You know, the psych docs, they tell us that an instinct for women is that when they're trying to choose a mate, they're trying to choose somebody that they actually want to mate with. They look at this guy and say, okay, this guy has good testosterone. This guy has a certain shape of his chin and his eyebrows. And they've, they've done the studies and the research on this. And ladies, this is why you chose your man. There's something inside of you that you chose this guy based upon what he looks like and, and how much testosterone he's got. And you put your hope and your trust that he's going to produce a great baby for you because of that. It's pretty funny, isn't it? And it's funny because also that's kind of how we end up choosing a church too. We look at, at a church and we think, well, there's, there's this church, I, I, my instincts say this church is strong, this, health, this church is healthy, this church is wealthy, it's growing. And we, we think, okay, I'm going to put my hope in this church. And, and the struggle is that when we do that, when the church, something does happen, what happens to our faith? Well, we end up on some documentary talking about how this pastor schmoozed and wined and dined us and we gave all our money to it and, and it fell apart. And then we, yeah, we're, de we're def devastated and we're disillusioned is what we are. Will you put your hope in Jesus? That's the question because he's not asking you to put your hope in your church. As important as church is to him, 
That's not where our hope belongs. There's a peculiar story in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus had been teaching in Jerusalem, and he decided to go on a trip to the Mediterranean, and he was going to hang out there in a place called Tyre and Sidon, T-Y-R-E, Tyre, and then Sidon is a sister city next to it. Well, these places were well known for their wickedness, extreme wickedness. And throughout the Old Testament, these were the two cities that, that were spoken of a lot to have tempted Jerusalem or to, to tempted Israel, that is, into sinning against God and, and worshiping Baal and the Ashtoreths. And if you remember Jezebel, anybody remember Jezebel? That name embodies like woman wickedness, doesn't it? If you're ever called a Jezebel, just know it's a problem, all right? And, well, she was the princess from Sidon. She was the king of Sidon's daughter, and she came to marry Ahab, uh, the king of Israel. And so she became the most wicked princess or the wicked queen of Israel that, that ever existed. And these people were the worst of the worst. And this is where Jesus chose to go and visit and these were the Canaanites, these were the, Israelite, or the, the enemies of the Israelites. And Jesus went to this place. And I want to share this story with you. Mark recorded the same story, and it says that Jesus went to this Airbnb there in, in Tyre. And he shows up there, and he's trying to hide because they were trying to... The, they knew that the people would gather around them, so they show up quietly at this place. And just as quickly as they got there, this lady shows up. It says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. He didn't say anything to her. This woman is desperate. And then his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Boy, these guys were really good guys, weren't they? Get her out of here. This mother was desperate and you can imagine what her daughter must have been going through. And because her daughter was going through this, you can imagine what the mother was going through. Some of you mothers know what this is like, the pain of seeing your daughter or your son go through a situation like this. She was distraught. And she comes to Jesus, and, and, and you can imagine she's, she's sur surrounded by evil in the land. There's idol, idolatry, and, and there's, suddenly her daughter is experiencing this paranormal horribleness. And she, listen, her daughter wasn't sick, could have been sick from the demon possession, but her daughter wasn't addicted, could have been addicted from the demon possession, we don't know. But, but that wasn't, those things weren't the issue. The issue was she was demon-possessed. And what's interesting is Jesus just ignored this woman. He just sat there. Was he trying to be mean? Well, that's not his character. So what was he doing? Why would Jesus act aloof? Well, she must have started going around the room and talking to the disciples. Hey, I need some help. Get him to help me. And she's going around the room and she's talking to these disciples. Well, how do we know that? Because the disciples got irritated and they're like, Jesus, she keeps coming to us. You need to send her away. Do something with this woman. If you're not going to fix it, if you're not going to take care of her, there's nothing we can do. And Jesus finally said to the woman, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, you're out. I'm not going to help you. Well, Jesus was looking to see if she had faith in him. He was looking to see if she truly would have hope in him. 
Now, she had probably tried all kinds of voodoo and hosh to free her daughter from this evil spirit, but nothing had worked. And suddenly, Jesus comes to her town. She hears the whispering as he's coming through town. She runs to where he finds this, this place that he's going to stay, and she runs up to him and says, Jesus, I need help. My daughter is demon-possessed. She knew that he cared based upon the stories that she had heard about him before he came to town, but he didn't seem to care at all. So she went to the disciples one after another. Please, please, please help me, help me, help me. And, and none of them would help. And coming back to Jesus, she put her, put her hope in him and she said, Jesus, Lord, help me. She cried out as she knelt before him, Lord, help me. I'm desperate. My daughter needs freedom. And Jesus pressed her forth further. He said, Well, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? Now, Jesus did not know how to win friends and influence people, apparently. <laughs> he just called her and everybody in this community a dog. Now, what would happen in a modern times? She would have jumped up and screamed, Racist! <laughs> If she wanted to believe he was a racist, she sure could have because he just called her entire city dogs. And Jesus gave her every reason in the world to get up and run from him. But she wanted to believe. She wanted to have hope. She didn't want to believe that what was coming out of his mouth was true. She wanted to believe what she had heard about him was true. And indeed it was. Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread. He's talking about the Israelites. The Israelites were the children. He wanted to see if she believed that he was there for her too. Because she's not an Israelite. He said, it's not right to do that and toss it to the dogs. And she says, yes, it is, Lord. <laughs> you can see her. She begins arguing. She believed he was God. She starts, yes, it is, Lord. It is right to do that. <laughs> And she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And I can see it. Suddenly, a smile comes across Jesus' face as he looks at her and he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. Isn't that awesome? You need to know that God isn't interested in people just worshiping him, serving him, and hoping and 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 hope him because and hope in him because he's nice but because he because he's God and that you have your hope in him because he's God Jesus is looking for people whose hope is in him even when it seems like he cannot be trusted that's what he's looking for. And there are going to be times in your life that it seems like he's not coming through for you. He's not answering your prayers. It seems like maybe he's aloof. It seems like, as they say, the, the heavens are brass. Your prayers, they go up and they hit the ground. There's going to be times like that. And God is looking to see who really will have hope in me. Who really will keep knocking. Who really will keep asking and, and seeking and knocking and trying to get me to do something for them. God is really looking to see who's interested in that. And when you put your hope in him, eventually he smiles and says, all right. It's awesome. 
If you find yourself disappointed in his disciples, hope in Jesus. If you find yourself disappointed in his church, hope in Jesus. If you find yourself hurting so bad, so desperate and hopeless, and at the end of your rope, hope in Jesus. Never give up. But Jesus isn't someone to be trifled with. You didn't come and can't come to him demanding. You come hoping, hoping he'll do something. Jesus is the only one that has what you're looking for. He's the only one. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only one that has what you're looking for in this life. You need to look past all your pain. You need to look past all your hurt. You need to even look past the possibility that he's ignoring you at the moment. And you keep pressing in and saying, Jesus, you're my hope. You're all I hope in. You're the only one that I can trust in. Do you see him as your refuge? Do you see him as your strength? Hope in him. Listen, I've learned that you can't even put your hope in your spouse because they can be taken from you. As great as your kids and babies are, you can't put your hope in your babies or in your kids. You've got a hope in Christ. As beautiful as your home is or big as your bank account might be, you can't put your hope in that. It can be gone today. In moments like in, in a moment's time, all of these things can be taken away because none of it belongs to you. Not even the skin on your body belongs to you. All of it is going to be taken away at some point. You say, well, John, that's not very encouraging. This is Mother's Day. Hold on. Everything and everything belongs to God. This is all on loan to you. This is all here for you to steward for him. And in that, you're going to find great encouragement. Suddenly, the stress of it all. Your son belongs to God. My brother belongs to God. Your children belong to God. I remember a car that I had, it was a 91 Oldsmobile 88, <clears throat> a lot of numbers in that one. It was a horrible car. <laughs> Not at first when it was brand new, but I didn't own it then. And uh, I bought it off my father-in-law, he had bought it in 91 in, in St. Louis. And well, I was, I, 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 I do chaplain work, and I was driving to chaplain locations, and the AC didn't work. And, you know, we're in Texas, if you haven't noticed. And I would spend at least 15 to 30 minutes in the restroom just wiping my brow and getting cleaned off before I could do my worksite visits and stuff. It was horrible. The headliner was dangling and hitting my hair, which is very difficult because I've got spiky hair. It was a beast. Well, the day finally came that I actually bought, I, I got a car that was within the decade. Isn't that awesome? And, and I was able to sell this car and dad got me hooked up with somebody that wanted to buy it. And I remember that guy driving off that day. There was this weight that was lifted, you know? I was like, man, not a 
thing that I need to do to this car anymore. It's gone, sucker. (laughs) No, the guy could see everything that was wrong with it. But when that guy drove off, I was like, man, this is wonderful. All the oil leaks, the AC problem, I never have to worry about it anymore. The fuel line that was messed up, the headline, none of it I have to worry about anymore. And when you realize that God has done that to the world, he has redeemed the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he bought the entire world. He bought everything, and now all of it belongs to him. When Jesus died, the scripture says that he redeemed this entire world. That means everything in it is his. Your husband, your children, your home, your shoes, all 150 of them. All of Judith's beautiful clothes, I was talking to her about it this morning, I was like, man, you've got to have some kind of a closet. I don't know how she fits this stuff in her room. All of it, though, belongs to to Jesus. Everything belongs to him. Everything is actually his, and that means your debt, isn't that great? (laughs) Jesus, you're in debt. You need to fix this. Your sins, every one of your sins, are, they belong to him. Oh, come on, folks. That's huge. He bought your sin. All of it belongs to him. You're not the owner. You're just a steward. And with that comes great freedom. With that comes great freedom. Everything belongs to him. Your church belongs to God. It's not your problem anymore. We don't have a problem, church. Amen? But I do know, I do know that this belongs to him. Your pastor belongs to him. He's not your problem. It's God's problem. Amen? Your friends, God's problem. Your husband, God's problem. Not yours. Your children, God's problem. You, God's problem. We're free from it. But we're not free from the responsibility of stewardship. Jesus is the only one, though, that has what you're looking for. And all that you have belongs to him. All that you have. You're just taking care of his property. That's what you are. And that's freeing. But here's what happens also. That gives you meaning for your life. That gives you deep meaning for your life. This is what makes your life meaningful. God says, I make you a business partner with me. You're my children. You're my bride. You're the people that I am calling to do something great with your life. And I will give you something that is meaningful for you to do in your life. You've been chosen to be the right hand person of the most powerful, the most wealthy being in all of the universe and beyond. You've been chosen for that. And that makes your life meaningful. Well, John, I just want to make it to heaven. Whoa, wait a second. God says you're a steward of what he's given you. Everything that you have, everything that's yours, God says is your steward of those things and using those for his kingdom. Everything you do is all for his purpose, his people. Everything you do for him makes, makes your life meaningful. And what I'm teaching you today is everything that Jesus taught the, the few days before he was crucified. 
Let's go to that. John or Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is where this is from. Jesus was at the temple, and as he came out of the temple, the disciples were talking with themselves, and they, they walked up to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, man, look at this temple. Look at this is great architecture. We didn't really pay attention to this before, but we we're hanging out and just talking about it. Look how beautiful and magnificent this place is. They were looking at the temple. And Jesus you can see him, he turns around and he's like, well, guys, you're not seriously impressed by the sheer size of this thing, are you? Really? The truth of the matter is that there's not a stone in that building that's not going to end up in a pile of rubble. He says, don't put your hope in some big building like this. Your life is way more meaningful than that. Later that day, Jesus was sitting on the Mount Olive and, and the disciples came up to um, came up talking about the end times. And we like to talk about the end times. It's, it's fun to just conjecture, whoa, this is what's happening with Russia. This is China. And this is all the, this is what Jesus predicted. And this is all the stuff. And we know we enjoy talking about that. Well, the disciples, they were like, man, Jesus is talking about some stuff and we want to talk about it too. So they were talking about the, the end times and Jesus takes that and he begins to warn them about false teachers and preachers who, who are going to use these things and scare people into giving them their money and using it, the, these things for their own advantage. And what was Jesus saying? He's saying, don't put up with lying preachers and don't put your hope in that. He says, in the confusion, lying preachers will come forward and deceive a lot of people. For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. So Jesus warns them, don't put your hope in those kind of people. Don't put your hope in the buildings. Then Jesus made a matter-of-fact statement. He said, this is what God is looking for. This is what God is looking for. This is one of those statements that we can take and put into our lives and it will change our life. He said, staying with it, that's what God requires. He's saying, perseverance in your relationship with him. Stay with it. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom will be preached all over the world. A witness staked out in every country and then the end will come. So he's talking about the end times, but he says, guys, don't worry about all that stuff. Just stay with it and you're going to be okay when it comes. So then Jesus begins to describe what's going to happen. There's going to be absolute chaos, though. He says, where everyone realizes during this period of time that nothing belonged to them. He says, when the, this is funny, they've just come out of the temple. Oh, Jesus, look how beautiful and big it is. And then Jesus comes to this moment. And he says, and when the Antichrist takes over the temple, what? <laughs> you can imagine how big their eyes got. The temple that they were just goo-gooing over. There's going to be a monster of des desecration coming into the temple, really. And Jesus said, when that happens, guys, you need to run for the hills. If you're working in your yard, run. Drop everything and run. He says, don't even go back to your house. There's no time for that. When this happens, you need to run. And Jesus says, and be to be honest with you, I don't even know when it's going to happen. Only the Father knows that. He said, it could happen in the wintertime, so don't even go back for your coat, though. That's how important what I'm telling you is this is going to be a very difficult time. And what was he saying? Leave everything in the field, leave everything in your house in that moment, and run. Nothing you own will last.
then he says, Then the arrival of the Son of Man, boom, Jesus comes. It will fill the skies. No one will miss it. Unready people all over the world, outsiders of splendor and power, will raise a huge lament as they watch the Son of Man blazing out of heaven. At that same moment, he'll dispatch his angels with a trumpet blast summons, pulling in God's chosen from the four winds from pole to pole. God is going to raise us up. It's awesome. And Jesus goes on talking about his coming back. He says, listen, it's going to be sudden. As sudden as it happened when Noah's, in Noah's time, everybody was going about their daily business. Everything was fine. And suddenly a flood came. He says, that's what my coming back is going to be like. Everybody's just going to be going along and everything's going to be fine. Enjoying their life, thinking everything's good. But suddenly, boom, in blazing fire, Jesus is coming back. And then he asks this question. Who are faithful and wise servants? Because that's who he's coming back for. Who wants to be considered as a faithful and wise servant? I'm with you. When that trumpet sounds, you ever had that dream that the trumpet sounds and you see all these people going up and you're like, (laughs) please. Jesus says, these are the people. He says, servants are fortunate if their master comes and finds them doing their job. What's he talking about? Stewardship. Are you taking care of what I gave you? Are you steward? Are you you a good steward over the things that I've given you? All of it belongs to me, he says. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, this is the meaning of your life. Using what I gave you, the breath I gave you, from the air that I gave you, that I own, God says, the blood that I gave you, the vessels that I gave you, all of your skin, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, everything that I gave you. Are you being a steward of that in this world? Because I'm coming back at some point and I'm going to hold you accountable. Oh man, I don't like that, John. I don't care if you like it. I'm just telling you what he said. This is what he said. And so this is important for us to get ourselves into alignment with. And Jesus said this. Or wait a second. Let me back up. He said, uh, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're serving me, if you're caring for, for me, if you're caring for my church, if you're caring for my servants. And then Jesus tells this story about 10 virgins that were waiting for a groom to arrive, and he was late in coming. The groom was late, and only five of them had oil in their lamps. The other five had forgotten to put a bunch of oil in, extra oil, just in case he didn't arrive on time. They didn't plan. And Jesus was saying, they weren't ready. They didn't prepare for me to just be there when I want to be there. And Jesus said, so my disciples always be ready. You don't know the day or time when this will happen. And then he told a story about three servants. One of the servants, he gave five what Jesus called talents to. Another, he gave two talents to them. And another, he gave one. And Jesus came, he said, the master came back and and he found that two of the servants had done what he expected them to do. The one with five had doubled it. The one with two had doubled it. 
And, and he was happy for them. He said, you are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I'll put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm expecting to come back and you have been a good steward with what I gave you. But then there was the one that he only gave one to. And the guy was like, well, look, I knew that you were a harsh taskmaster. So I went and I, I hid it and I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose it. And Jesus became, he, he said, man, the master became very angry with him because he didn't understand that the master would have been very grateful for him to have even lost it if he just tried to, to invest it somewhere. He said, you could have at least taken it down to the bank and done something with it. And God is saying, look, if you'll just try, if you'll begin investing your life, if you'll begin being a good steward with what I've given you, your life is going to be better and you'll be happy for eternity. Now, all of this belongs to Jesus and that gives you meaning. What do you do? What do you do with the rest of your life? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to use what he gave you? And what you do, everything you say, every time you serve, all of that belongs to Jesus. When you trim the hedges, when you paint, when you welcome people in the church, when you go to work and you share Christ with somebody else, all of it belongs to Christ and you're serving him. All of that. When you help somebody in need, all of it's for him. Everything that you do can be for him. Listen, that's where our hope is. That's where our hope is. And this is what Jesus said. At the conclusion of those two chapters, this is what Jesus said. He said, when the Son of Man, when I come in glory with all the angels, I will sit on my royal throne and the people of all nations will be brought before me and I will separate them as a shepherd separates sheep from goats I will place the sheep on the right on my right and the goats on the left and the king will say to those on the right my father has blessed you come and receive the kingdom that was prepared for you and the world was created or before the world was created. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. And when I was in jail, you visited me. And the ones who please the Lord will ask, when did we give you something to eat or drink? When did we do that for you? When did we welcome you as a stranger or give you clothes to wear or visit you when you were sick or in jail? And Jesus said, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. Why? Because it all belongs to him. All of it. And he turned to those on his left and he said just the opposite. He says, those on my left, they didn't do it. They weren't interested. 
And he said just the opposite. But Jesus finished that chapter with this. Those people will be punished forever, but the ones who pleased God will have eternal life. Will have eternal life. You can put your hope in a lot of things on this planet. Husband, wife, children, grandchildren, church, pastor, even though he's great. Don't put your hope in me. The reality is you're going to have to stand face to face with Jesus yourself. I won't get to be there and vouch for you. It's just going to be you and him. And mothers, I pray that this will free you today. Your children belong to Jesus. And your life belongs to him. And what you do for him, everything that you do for him, for everything that you've done for us, and everything that you've done for your family, you've done it for him because it all belonged to him. There's peace in that. There's peace. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you've tried a lot of things in your life to put your hope in. The rug keeps being pulled out from under you. Something it keeps happening. It's time to put your hope in the only one that deserves it. Would you shift your faith right now? Your hope? If you're hoping for your child to be saved, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Shift your hope to Christ. Turn your child over to Him. God, my son, my daughter belongs to you. They're not mine. I'm going to put my hope in you. My health, I'm going to quit hoping for health, and I'm going to hope in you. I turn it over to you. My son's health, I turn over to you. My daughter's health, I turn over to you. I give it to you, God. My hope is in you. Maybe you were hurt by the kingdom of God. Maybe you walked around to those who seemed to be in charge like that woman did that day with the disciples. Please help me. Somebody help me. And they didn't care. God, help us if that ever happens in this church. But I'm telling you, you had your hope in the wrong place anyway. Put your hope in Jesus. He is the answer for all of your needs. God, today we shift our hope from the things of this world, the people of this world, the good things. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for the wonderful things. But God, those things can pass away just as quickly as they came. And today we recognize that. And these mothers, they need hope. What's happening in our world today is very difficult to watch. Brother against brother, sister against sister, and a world of disappointment. But today, we put our hope in you. Thank you 
for your strength. And God, we trust that you, being a great steward over your creation, will give us all that we need. Jesus, you said, if we'll begin to focus on your kingdom, that all these things would be added unto us. And so, Father, we put all of our hope in the kingdom of God and you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Maybe you're here today and you need to give your heart to Christ. If you haven't already, just do that right now. Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you for your forgiveness for me. Thank you that you bought my sin. You paid the price. And I want to have a relationship with you now. I want to get to know who you are, what you like, and what you don't like. I give you my heart and my life. I put my hope in you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe today this is the day that you've made a decision to let Christ come into your life and have that relationship with him. Right where you're seated, I just want you to look up at me until my eyes catch yours, if that's you. A new beginning for you today. Okay? Okay? New beginning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you.